0: You are listening to a special NEARS.org podcast. This Christmas year-end update is brought to you commercial-free by Cowen, where their success happens when they help you outperform. Visit them at Cowan, Registration is open for our Spring 2022 Conference in Baltimore, Maryland, April 6th through the 8th. For all things NEARS, visit us at NEARS.org.
1: This is Dennis Wilmot, President of Iron Horse Logistics Group, and on behalf of NEARS, I'm pleased to present Arthur Adams, Senior Vice President of CSX, for our NEARS podcast today. Welcome, Arthur.
0: Thanks for having me, Dennis. It's great to be here.
1: Excellent. Um, You know, uh, uh, position titles can sometimes be deceiving Senior Vice President of Sales for CSX. Maybe it means exactly that. But I thought for our listening audience, we'd start by just asking you to define what your roles and responsibility is at CSX.
0: Yeah, great question, Dennis. Thanks, thanks for asking me. I, it, the role is more expansive than the title suggests. So I have responsibility for our merchandise carload sales across the entire industrial complex. I also have responsibility for our customer experience as well as our sales and marketing uh, responsibility for our subsidiary Transflow, which is comprised of 49 terminals across our network, specializing in rail-to-truck transloading.
1: Excellent. Okay. Now, when you say customer experience, customer service is included in that, or is that a separate...
0: That is correct. So our, our marketing services team, our customer service team, our e-business team, are all of the ancillary kind of touch points that facilitate customer engagement fall
1: under my purview. Okay. Now for the sales team itself, what, how many are in your sales team currently?
0: Well, we have a, a large sales organization and marketing organization. So the way we're structured, Dennis, it, we're bifurcated from a sales and marketing perspective. So my colleague, Barut Bazar uh, has responsibility for our marketing team, uh, intermodal as well as, as the merchandise marketing. Uh, my colleague, Mary Claire Kinney, has responsibility for our intermodal. Uh, and automotive business units and then my colleague uh, Adam Longson has responsibility for our energy markets so think of that as your your liquid energy products LPG crew by rail, but also our our coal franchise. Mm -hmm. Um, In my organization I have just north of of 100 folks um, fairly equally split between the uh, customer engagement Functions as well as the the transflow and then the core merchandise functions.
1: Okay. Now for for field sales, even before COVID, many of field sales folks have been working remotely and even from home for a long time. But of course, COVID kind of created an interesting dynamic that put customer service, sales, marketing, everybody home for at least a period of time. I know CSX had a phase in, bring back 25% here, another, then up to 50. Where are we at today? Where is CSX at today with bringing people back in to the office?
0: Yeah, I think like most organizations, we, you know, as we were heading into the the first half of the year, um, we did have a a formalized uh, return to work plan. I think once the Delta variant um, hit, of course. Uh, like many organizations, we hit the pause button. Um, we provided our employee, employees a lot more flexibility, and I would say the workforce, by and large, is, is transient. At any given time, you, you can find you know 25 to I'd say somewhere near two thirds of the workforce is uh, in the office at any given time. But we have made some adjustments on a go for basis. So as you as you alluded to our, our sales organization by and large um, is it's field-based 80% of my organization uh, works from home. Um, but we also made a determination earlier this year that we wanted to extend that um, optionality to our customer solutions team as well. Um, and what we saw as a result of that was was significant productivity gains um, as well as you can imagine the, the effects on, on morale and just the overall flexibility that it affords our, our workforce. And so that's something that we'll continue to review more broadly across across the complex. But I think once we uh, begin to see greater stabilization uh, attributable to the, the other side of this pandemic, I, I think we will we'll reassess what the path forward is in terms of optionality for our employees. You know, you you could envision, you know, a hoteling uh, concept or some hybrid where you offer, you know, varying degrees of flexibility depending on the scope of the work. Um, And that's something that, you know, we'll we'll reassess as we move forward.
1: Yeah, certainly one industry that has We hear a lot about the hospitality industry that's suffering during COVID, but another one certainly is commercial real estate because so many people are still working from home. It's uh, it's a challenge. So here we are, we're heading into a new year. Uh, You have an entire sales and marketing and customer experience uh, group that you're overseeing. Uh, What could we expect, what should we expect to see in 2022 and beyond. Do you have any, anything you could share about strategies or changes that uh, we will see within CSX's organization?
0: Yeah, I think the, the, the focus has and continues to be for, for CSX. How do we lean in and strengthen our relationships with our customers? how do we become more adept at understanding the, the levers within their supply chain that really drive decisions around modal selection? And so a couple things uh, that we are focused on, uh, one of which is, is harnessing uh, transformative technologies. And you know, I think you're aware in prior conversations, we've talked about our journey in the digital transformation space, really using our shipCSX platform, it's kind of that marquee customer engagement tool. Uh, we are heading into our fourth year of reimagining that, that tool. And one of the things that I'm really pleased about is that we have, have leaned in heavily with our customers to help shape that experience. And I think as a result of that, the 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 tools and the flexibility and the adjustments and the functionality that we've made with the tool as well as the the uh, aesthetics uh have resonated well with our customers and so we are going to continue to invest in technologies that make it easier to do business with rail and i think you you have heard us time and time again publicly talk about some of the uh, opportunities for us to accelerate investment in technology more broadly. You know, we've adopted a number of of creative technologies in the operating realm, you know, whether it be our our trip optimizer to improve our fuel efficiency in locomotives, whether it be leveraging drone technology for bridge inspection, uh, we've launched our second inspection portal Across the system, which enables us to to proactively problem solve and troubleshoot, uh, and, and look for and look for um, uh, opportunities to prevent uh, disruption in the supply chain as we're moving customers' goods from origin to destination. So, I think you'll continue to see us iterate in that space. One other thing that we are, are, are keenly focused on is ESG. Um, it's, it's interesting to see um, how quickly our customers have, have um, shifted and pivoted focus around ESG becoming more top of mind, um, not just in, in modal selection, but also in, in ultimately decision-making and you know, how they think about future investments, whether it be infrastructure, whether it be resources. And so I think there are opportunities given the fact that rail is the most environmentally friendly uh, mode of land transportation for us really to help customers think through our value proposition relative to how they manage and optimize their supply chain. And So we are seeing a lot of energy and excitement from our customers in that space. Um, we are working on a number of different creative solutions, um, carbon calculators, and a number of other um, initiatives that that we think will give customers the ability to to use their uh, the insights around the environmental savings um, for for shareholders and for other targets that that they've stated publicly around CO two emission reduction and and the like. And so that will continue to be. An area of focus uh, for us. And so more to come as we progress throughout 2022. But I think the basics uh, in blocking and tackling around supporting our customers and their ability to compete and grow in the marketplace, uh, that will continue to be top of mind for us. We've talked about the investments that we've made both in through the quality carriers acquisition, which is going exceptionally well, Randy Struts and that team have done a remarkable job in, in, with the support from our team uh, of integrating. And we have a number of opportunities in the pipeline that, that we're progressing. But more importantly, we continue to, to double down on our belief that we have to think across our customer supply chain and create value above and beyond the traditional rail. And for us, the, the combination of quality as well as the investments that we'll continue to make in expanding our transflow service optionality is something that we're excited about delivering to the market. Um, this year alone, we, we stood up our, our warehouse, our first warehouse in Kearney, New Jersey. That's going very well. Um, and then we have a, a number of other creative solutions that we are partnering with customers to bring to market in 2022. So we're really excited about that.
1: Uh, Well, there certainly are changes forthcoming in 2022, Uh, can you share with us where things stand right now with the Pan Am acquisition, what does that timetable look like, and what can the shipping community expect to see, what kind of benefit do you see coming out of all of this?
0: Yeah. so in terms of the, the Pan Am acquisition, nothing has changed materially in terms of the timeline that that we've communicated publicly, which is, you know, we believe that the surface transportation board will make a final ruling uh, in in 2022 TBD in terms of, of the timing on that um, they, they did recently announce that the first of the year there will be a public hearing. Um, to, to give stakeholders an opportunity um, to, to weigh in and provide insights on the merits of, of that transaction. As, as you know very well, Dennis, that there's overwhelming support from the shipper community, as well as the state and local municipalities around the Pan Am transaction. We believe it it, it creates greater market extension, market reach, which is something that we're really excited about. We think there are efficiency opportunities abound um, as we look at the, the merits of the Pan Am uh, acquisition. And so all systems go, but you know, as it progresses, we will be sure to keep all stakeholders informed of our progress. But we're really excited about uh, the, the art of, of the possible on the other side of that acquisition.
1: Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm sure that everyone is looking forward to seeing the end results and the benefits that are, are generated from that. One of the other major projects that CSX has is the tunnel project in Baltimore, which is interesting because it's such an old tunnel. And yeah, finally, after over a 100 and some years or whatever, it's going to get a facelift and a pretty major change. What can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, and so, you know, when we look at our, our franchise, especially from, from an intermodal perspective, and you think about the, the value proposition of, of intermodal, especially in the double stack clearance um, and having the ability to, to have the flexibility and optionality across the system, um, that is one of the, the overwhelming benefits, you know, um, the state and local municipalities in that region have been um, very supportive uh, and as you mentioned, this has been a long time coming in the labor of love. I think um, it, it will give us incremental capacity um, and efficiency across the, the the system as that particular project unfolds. Um, I think you saw earlier, I guess a month or so ago, um, that particular announcement in the in the groundbreaking ceremony um, that uh, that ensued. And so, you know, I think for us, it's just further expansion and efficiency gains, um, you know, as we continue to move forward and, and look for opportunities to grow um, and expand cap- capacity and capabilities in the marketplace.
1: Uh, when you were talking earlier about the many different areas that that CSX is looking to um, develop, uh, one of your responsibilities being the e-business group and the like, uh, there's been a lot of talk. In fact, on the other podcast that Nears is presenting with the Chairman uh, Marty Oberman from the STB, and then with Jason Seidel and Tony Hatch, a lot of the conversation has been about uh, technology, the the uh, the need of uh, essential need for technology to help drive the future of the entire rail industry, and. And I know you you made comment about what CSX is doing specifically, but of course there is the, the uh, Rail Pulse project, which is being put together by NS and Trinity and a couple of others that is intended to some degree to uh, raise visibility or provide visibility. Um, uh, there There is a growing, uh, I don't know if I'd say demand, but there is a, a cry for a, a more universal uh, access rather than just through ship CSX or just through the NS system or UP system and the like. Um, where do you see this going? What's your comment on Rail Pulse and this whole direction of trying to create uniform access for people or shippers?
0: Yeah, I think uh, in, in order for us to, to compete, Versus other modes of transportation, I think there's a recognition and belief that transparency and visibility, you know, uh, 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 in, in terms of the facilitation and movement of goods and services across, you know, railroads is, is fundamental and it's table stakes. If you think about uh, the, the the trucking uh, providers. Well, guess what? You have visibility from origin to destination uh, when, you, when you tender a load to a truck provider or even reflect on your, your own uh, consumption, whether it's Amazon or, or UPS, you know, there, there's a, a standardized visibility and transparency to the shipment, um, re- regardless of the origin or destination. And so I think as an industry we have to figure out um, what the appropriate solution is to solve for that. I think there are a number of merits uh, that Real PULSE bring to the the table and our team is actively engaged um, in understanding what that value proposition is. But as I'm sure you're aware, Dennis, there are a number of solutions um, in the marketplace that offer you know similar capability. And so I think as an industry, you know we'll have to we'll have to figure out what uniformity looks like over time. Um, but you know we are exploring a number of, of different solutions. and you know we think there's value in partnering with both the short lines and and the class ones to figure out what the best solution is on a go forward basis.
1: Yeah, a very important, I think, for for the future of the industry. So you talked about uh, what is on your plate uh, in general, and and about uh, your organization that, that you oversee. CSX overall in two thousand twenty two, can you maybe not whip out a crystal ball, but if you have one handy, that would that would be nice too. But uh, what do you expect? to happen in 2022. I know of course you you hope are hoping for growth. Are there any particular commodities or product lines, uh, anything like that, that that really we should expect to see or CSX would expect to see significant growth or change?
0: Well, I think that the prevailing thought as we engage our customers across the broader complex is that um, customers by and large are, are, are bullish on the economy. Um, I think it's widely known and under understood that uh, we have one of the, the most uh, robust consumer demand economies in the world. And uh, you know, I think one of the barriers of course to capitalizing on the um, demand has been the supply side of the equation, given disruption upstream and downstream across all of our customers' uh, supply chains, whether it be raw material in uh, uh, availability, whether it be the ability to deliver finished goods to market. And so I think we could both wax poetic on on countless examples of of where we've seen that disruption you know, I, I think there's a, a a cautious optimism that next year will lead to greater stabilization of supply chains more broadly, and I think we are well positioned to capture that. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, there is an expectation that the automotive industry will, will rebound as the chip shortage crisis course corrects over time and and uh, you know I think that is something that you know we're really excited about I think across the the broader industrial complex I think most markets by and large there's an expectation that that we will grow and you know a lot of that is attributable to the expectations from our customers right and so as a Derived demand service provider, our job is to ensure that we're positioned well to capture that opportunity. You know, I think we've been very public around, you know, our, our resource plans. That continues to progress very well uh, as we head into the, the first half of the year. And so something that we continue to keep a very, a very watchful eye on. But I think, you know, our expectation Um, is growth. And, you know, I think there's a lot of favorable tailwinds. You talk about ESG. uh, Well, that, of course, bodes well for for the rail industry. Um, If you look at the recent announcement on the infrastructure bill, although probably not a 2022 impact, it definitely sets the stage for 2023 and and beyond in, in several markets whether it be our, our metals markets, whether it be our aggregates markets, and then and other markets as well. And so, you know, I, I think we believe that um, there is a, a tremendous opportunity ahead of us to capture greater wallet share from customers through service excellence. And so that's the expectation for 2022, but candidly, I think for the foreseeable future. Now, there, there, you have to, you know, you have to counterweight that with the reality that we know there's still tremendous uncertainty. I mean, look no further than the, the Omicron variant, what that I think it's what couple three weeks old now. So, the the we, we are still in the in 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 the throes of this pandemic. Um, There there are a number of external factors that we don't control, but the one thing that we like to remind our team of is we have to focus on what we can control, and I think to that end, uh, this team has done a remarkable job of leaning in, adapting, adjusting, and being resilient, and I applaud our customers as well because they are living in the same universe that we're living in and, and having the same challenges that, that we face. And I think we're stronger when we work together and collaborate. And so I, I appreciate the great work that our team has done, but more importantly, the, uh, the customers that have really leaned in um, and been a part of the solution.
1: You know, the, the past buzzword, Within the rail industry, has been PSR. Uh, that's we're kind of in the post-PSR age, if you will, and the the carriers, along with CSX, you know, obviously, Hunter Harrison was heading up CSX for a bit and, and ran PSR through successfully. And as as things change. And, and you're looking toward growth with the reduced, I mean, there was some obviously some staff reduction and, and rationalization of lines and the like. But now moving into growth, what is CSX doing that is post PSR? You may have answered this to some degree already, but i um, asking it maybe a little different way uh, that uh, where, how would you classify or, or describe where CSX is now? In, in strategically moving, not away necessarily, but is it maybe a new step, the next step, the next phase? What is that? Excuse me there, Dennis.
0: Well, you know, we, uh, just building on where you started with um, the comments around Hunter and, and, and schedule railroading, and, you know, I give um, Jim a tremendous amount, Jim Foote, our CEO, a tremendous amount of of credit and our executive team for really carrying the torch um, and, and building on um, Hunter's legacy. And I think going back to my comments around growth, um, that is our focus, value-added services or organic growth through through wallet share expansion with our customers, you know, taking trucks off the off the highway, uh, we, we have a great service product. And, you know, it is my job and my colleagues' job to partner with our customers to, to sell that, that value proposition. And as I mentioned previously, there, there are so many tailwinds that are working in, in our favor that, that create a, a window of opportunity for us to, to create um, sustainable value for our customers and and for the enterprise. And going back to my comments around the the resource plan that is as much around recoverability from the pandemic coupled with with growth and our ability to support customers as they continue to, to grow within the markets that they serve. So I'd like to believe that you know we are positioned well not only for the for the near term, but for the longer term. I think our leadership team uh, recognizes that it is critically important for us to to remain flexible, but to stay in the moment with an eye toward future expansion, and that may manifest itself in a in a different variety of ways over time, but I think as long as we stay true to the merits and principles that have gotten us to this point, uh, I think that that we have a bright future ahead. Um, It's going to be really important for us to continue to lean in and listen and learn um, from our customers, because at the end of the day, without our customers, uh, we don't exist. And so, I think to the extent that we do that well, uh, it will position us very favorably over the long term.
1: Excellent. Well, uh, I've saved the most difficult question for last. Uh, As an Ohio person, of course, I'm an Ohio State Buckeye fan. And so it pains me to ask this critical. The Urban
0: question. Meyer, is this the Urban Meyer question? Is that where you're it going?
1: Why did it take so long for the Jaguars to fire Urban
0: Meyer? <laughs> well, you know, if I had a, if I had the answer to that question, I'd be a billionaire and I'd own my own team, just <laughs> So I don't I don't know the answer to that question. I, I will tell you that. Um, it is interesting to uh, you know across the sports landscape. You never you never really understand what um, billionaires think and, and how they think. Um, but I can tell you that, um, regardless of, uh, of why it took so long, you know I think clearly, um, clearly it was a decision that. Um, that needed to be made. And I think hopefully it's a cautionary tale um, for all of us on the importance of of leading with integrity, um, listening, surrounding yourself with with talented people, um, and not being the individual that has all the answers, but being an enabler. Uh, and then, you know, ensuring that you create an environment and a culture of, of respect where you can extract the best out of the individuals that you work with day in and day out. So I'm hopeful that regardless of wherever, um, you know, this journey takes the, the Jaguars, that um, hopefully they will find a leader that espouses, you know, some of those virtues and values that I share.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it also points to there is a pretty huge transition to go from the NCAA to the NFL and it's not a step many can yeah, make.
0: I mean it's, it's it you know it um, yeah you know, I was actually talking to a, a friend yesterday and I was thinking you know there are very few coaches college coach, coaches that have successfully made the transition to the nfl and the only two that come to mind for me
1: were pete carroll
0: and jimmy johnson
1: yeah and that rarely did they go from head coach to head coach don shula was a college, yeah coach, they, yeah but he didn't start out as a new head coach he actually coached yeah. with browns for a while too so yeah
0: so you know i think there is something to be said but again, I think going back to where we, we started that conversation, I think for me, it all centers around leadership yeah. and building a, building a culture. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, um, you know, I, unfortunately I am not available to, uh, you know, to, uh, for the head coaching job or for the GM job. Um, I actually enjoy what I do and, and, um, You know, I I think uh, I'm going to stick this out as long as I can.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm sure that is the Jaguars loss. But uh, thank you, Arthur Adams, for our discussion today, taking the time with us for NEARS. On behalf of NEARS, I want to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, and a Happy New Year. Thanks again.
0: Same to you, Dennis, and and you know I I have always appreciated the uh, opportunity to uh, partner with the the NIRS organization. I think you all are first class organization. Um, I do want to say that first of all, thank you, and wish you and your family um, a safe and prosperous New Year and and a Merry Christmas. But I'd also like to to thank all of our all of our northeastern shippers. Um, who have just been a delight to, to work with. We appreciate the collaboration. We appreciate the partnership. Um, and, and I wish you all a safe and prosperous New Year and Merry Christmas as well.